innovation at its core requires diversity because you have to have people thinking about issues in different ways and bringing different types of solutions to the table. And if you're all just sitting around with your, your same old crowd, you get into that group think dynamic where you can't think outside the box. What we see is that in FIRE, you know, it's still very male dominated, it's still very white, um, it's not been a place with a lot of diversity or an inclusive culture. And it's time for that to change. Welcome to Living with Fire, a new podcast that aims to deepen our understanding of wildfires and the critical role they play in America's forests, lands, and communities. I'm your host, Amanda Monti, and today you'll be hearing my conversation with Lania Quinn-Davidson. Lania wears a lot of hats in her fire career, but today's episode mostly focuses on her role in the Women in Prescribed Fire Training Exchange Program, or WTREX for short. WTREX helps women in fire gain more experience in prescribed burning, but also places a huge emphasis on providing women with leadership and mentorship opportunities. Mentorship especially is a hugely important element of retaining women in the fire world. I know when I was first getting started in fire, it was enormously helpful to have women to talk to and ask questions before my first fire season. I was most excited to speak with Lania about her goal to diversify the fire world, which is still very white and made up of very few women. We spoke about the importance of diversifying fire leadership and why she has spent her career finding ways to use prescribed burning to build up and empower individuals and communities across the country. She wears a lot of hats, so I'll let her take over from here and explaining a little bit about her background. But for now, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Yeah, I do wear a lot of hats, so it is kind of complicated. But um, so my name's Lania, which kind of oddly actually means firewood in Spanish. So my parents had some kind of um, vision for my future before I was even born. Um, And I work for University of California Cooperative Extension, and I'm on the north coast of California up in Humboldt County. And I'm in kind of a unique position because I'm a a county-based extension advisor, which, you know, it's a position where I work with landowners and land managers and scientists and all different kinds of people to kind of bring science out into the community. And um, my the unique part of my position is that I get to work with a lot of different partners. And unlike many of my colleagues who are solely county-based and just work in their local landscape, I have the honor and privilege to work regionally and nationally with some really neat partners, including um, TNC, the, the Nature Conservancy's North America Fire Team, and the Fire Learning Network, which is a collaboration between the Nature Conservancy, the Forest Service, and the Department of Interior. So I get to work on some really neat projects that are not just tied to my local landscape, but have influence and opportunity all over the country. And one of those is the the Women in Fire Prescribed Fire Training Exchange, or WTREX, um, and also just TREX events more generally. That's amazing. And what's your what is your fire background? Do you have a fire background or did you did you work in fire? I'm, uh, you know, I have a background um, in more in fire ecology and restoration. I, I never worked in wildland fire. All of my fire experience is in prescribed fire. And um, so I come to this not not with that um, wildland fire or, you know, firefighter background. It's really kind of more from the science side. Which I feel like contributes a lot to what you're doing because I feel like you're kind of an advocate for 
prescribed burning over like this constant fire suppression model that we have right now. And I don't know, would you agree with that, I guess? What would you say about Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. My, my passion is definitely prescribed fire and, um, and, you know, using fire as a, it's kind of a confluence of human and natural communities. I just, I find prescribed fire really interesting, um, not only as a land management tool, but also just as a, a way for people to connect with the landscape. So, yeah, my interest is definitely more in in prescribed fire and people having a role in in managing fire than in putting fires out. I've never been um I've, it's never really appealed to me to work in fire suppression. Yeah, that's awesome. And you are I've read a few of your pieces um and I read a piece of yours from October and in in it you sort of talked about redefining the way that we talk about fire and how we use fire. You mentioned that you're sort of like bored of the fire discourse that we generally find ourselves in where we're kind of regurgitating the same points over and over again. And so I'm kind of wondering if you could talk about that a little bit, just like how you would change the way we talk about fire or prescribed fire and kind of how you would change that discourse. Yeah, well, you know, about 10 years ago, when I was in grad school um, here at Humboldt State University, I focused my research on impediments to prescribed fire, which at that time wasn't really a big topic of conversation in the Western U.S. Um, there had been a couple other studies that were looking at barriers to prescribed fire, but in general, it just wasn't something we were talking about and became the the focal point of my um, graduate research. And I think it, it was really interesting to think about why aren't we using more prescribed fire in the West? And, you know, what are the barriers? What are the policy issues? And what are the regulatory issues? And, um so I published a paper out of that, and I think it, it was really helpful in getting our prescribed fire council started in California and kind of, I think, kickstarting a lot of the, the dialogue that happened over the, the, you know, the coming years. But what I found now is that we collectively, the fire community, I think we get really stuck on those impediments and barriers, and it tends to be kind of all we talk about is all the things we can't do, all the reasons why we can't do more how, you know, all the red tape, all the, the regulatory issues, all the, um, all the problems we have with prescribed fire. And I guess, so in that, in that piece that I wrote, I was saying, you know, I'm kind of bored with talking about this. We've been talking about it for a decade. I think it felt kind of new and fresh a decade ago when we were, you know, when I was first working on that, it was pretty interesting. And now I'm a little more interested in talking about where it's working. And we have these people, these points of light all over the country um, these energetic, inspiring prescribed fire leaders who are changing the landscape of fire in their communities that are, you know, influencing policy that are, are just getting it done. And let's talk about those folks. Um, you know, we can sit around and talk about liability all day. And at the end of the day, we haven't done any more prescribed fire than, you know, than we did before. So I am, I am bored with talking about barriers. I think it's time to talk about opportunities and to really focus on, on where the most inspiring things are happening. And can you talk about that a little bit? Like I know Southeast is a good example or like what, what is a, what's a good example for you right now of what prescribed fire can be? Yeah. So we have quite a few examples and and it's really exciting working with, um, you know, with the treks, Trex leaders across the country. So the Trex are these two-week prescribed fire training exchange events, and they're they're unique because they are um, 
open, you know, inclusive. They're really focused on bringing different kinds of people together to, to train and, and learn together. And um, so they've been happening for about a decade and um, just really awesome events. And those tend to be hosted by these innovative people around the country who either work for federal and state agencies or work for nonprofits or work with tribes or are community members. Um, but they're people who, who kind of get things done, right? So we're really lucky in our work that we get to interface with those folks, whether they're in Nebraska or they're in Florida or Northern California. You know, there are so many examples of, of those folks. For me, a big inspiration um, have been people in the Great Plains. I think the, the Great Plains fire culture is a really interesting story and a, a place where they have scaled up the use of prescribed fire in unprecedented ways at, at really a landscape scale, just with community members and um, you know farmers and ranchers who decided that they really needed this tool in their toolbox and they were going to group together in a community way and get it done. And they have. So I've taken a lot of inspiration in the last couple of years from those folks in the Great Plains and really tried to bring some of the lessons and and um, you know ideologies that, that they're bringing to their fire programs back here to California because I think we have so much to learn. Um, another really exciting example is in the Mid Klamath region of Northern California here, not far from where I live, where we've got several tribes who are working with local nonprofits and really bringing cultural fire um, back into the community and and kind of giving a you know kind of a new birth to to what it means to to burn as a community and to protect the community from wildfire while also using fire and having this great connection to it. So there are some amazing leaders in that in that part of the state. Um, yeah, it's just there are so many examples. I could go on and on of all the the neat people who are are doing great work and are pushing the boundaries of what we think is possible. Yeah, so moving forward, what are you kind of seeing as like an actionable way to move forward in this in this new idea, in this new way that we're kind of hoping to be able to see wildfire or uh, prescribed fire? Oh, yeah. So, well, in California, I'm really excited. I mentioned the Great Plains and this kind of community-based model that they have for using prescribed fire on private lands. And that's something that I've gotten really excited about in California, um, just the idea that you could take that model that's so successful in the Great Plains and, and in other parts of the country and bring that to the West and kind of push back against that fire suppression culture that is so strong here that says you have to be a fire expert in order to use prescribed fire. Really pushing back on that and saying, no, fire is actually kind of um, innate to the human spirit. And I think we can, we can, average people can use fire and we can give them opportunities to connect with it and to rebuild that culture. And um, just because we live in California or in Oregon or Washington doesn't mean that we have to be distanced from fire um, in, you know, from, from good positive fire interactions. We, we can reclaim that. So for me, that's what I'm really excited about right now. And kind of a lot of my local work and my work in California is focused on on that community aspect. At the at, you know nationally and and with the Trex program and all the work we're doing there, I'm really excited about the idea of bringing more diversity, equity, and inclusion into 
fire as a whole, um, not just prescribed fire, but we do use prescribed fire as kind of a venue for starting those conversations and getting more women involved and more um, people of color and just really trying to break down the barriers. Because what we see is that in fire, you know, it's still very male dominated. It's still very white. Um, it's not been a place with a lot of diversity or an inclusive culture. And it's time for that to change. So I'm excited about our work in that too. Yeah, I was going to touch on that because you've kind of spearheaded like this really successful program with WTREX. And I'm wondering why you, uh, or why is it important to introduce these diverse voices and diverse leadership into the fire world? Like, what do you find to be important about that? I think like in, in, in practice, I've noticed that there's a big difference when you have women involved, when you have uh, mm -hmm. like diverse voices involved, but kind of from your perspective, why do you see that that's an important thing to, or something to value? Yeah, you know, I think the way I like to think about it is like fire, we have gotten to a point where fire is such a wicked problem and and it's becoming more complicated and more scary and we've got the climate, you know, kind of climate change involved and we've got all these different factors that are contributing to this immensely wicked problem. And and here we've had kind of the same demographic of people leading and dealing with this issue for a hundred years. And, um, and we're not, we're just not seeing like the solutions are not surfacing in the ways that they, they need to, to keep up with the momentum of the problem. Right. Um, and so why wouldn't we want every good thinker to be working on this problem? Why wouldn't we want people from all different backgrounds and all different, you know, levels of creativity and innovation, like innovation at its core requires diversity because you have to have people thinking about issues in different ways and bringing different types of solutions to the table. And if you're all just sitting around with your, your same old crowd, you get into that group think dynamic where you can't think outside the box. Um, you're too, you're too stuck in it. So I think from a, you know, just from a large scale perspective, diversity is essential to innovation. And I think we're at a point where we just absolutely need to innovate around fire and how we live with fire. What do you think are, I, I hadn't actually planned for this question, but I'm curious what you find to be common barriers to entry in the fire world. I think it's pretty obvious, like you're getting into a world that's very male dominated. I know like even as a woman, let alone as a person of color, but what are you finding to be barriers of entry that you are having to tackle? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there, there are a number of barriers and, and the, the entry barriers can start just as simply as like women not being told that they even could do the job, right? Or that they'll, you know, they won't succeed in that or that they're not physically built for it or that they're not fit enough for it. Or, um, so there are these kind of atti attitude issues that I think just keep, young women from even considering a career like that, um, or, or other minorities, you know, people who just don't seem to fit into that dominant culture. I think what we find, um, what I hear a lot from women in FIRE, like women who participate in WTREX and, and in our other TREX events, is that um, it may not even be that barrier to entry as much as the barrier to staying in it, right? So a lot of women will will start a, a job in fire and um, and they're gone within a year or two because it's hostile or um, they don't get the training opportunities that other people do or they don't have the confidence to speak up and advocate for themselves and say that they want that opportunity. 
um, or they don't have good supervisors who are supportive and and help them, um, you know, find the right positions that will suit their skills and and highlight their abilities. So we really, you know, we've seen an increased emphasis within fire management agencies to bring to recruit more women and get more women and minorities into fire, but we don't see a lot of um, effort or a lot of success in retention and, and keeping those folks in the job so that they can actually maybe be in a leadership position someday or have an influence on the culture and on the, you know, the overall picture. And that's where things really need to change. I, yeah, this is something I've been thinking about just like with the recent movement and everything, just how can we make this industry better for women and, uh, and people of color? How can we, like, how can we even tackle these like sort of cultural issues that we're ha- that we have? Um, where you, I, I just like, I wouldn't trust telling uh, a woman that I know that, that she should apply for a job in rural Oregon or like in, you know, in yeah, like, yeah. these really, really remote areas where you are probably going to be tackling, or you're going to be dealing with people who maybe have some antiquated ideas about, about women and about who should be out there fighting fires. So I, I just like, it's weird because you want to get, you want to get more women out there, but I've, I've also introduced a lot of women to fire and had them and been excited to show them this world and then had them get on a crew that they hated and that they were like immediately like, this is not for me. And I'm like, man, if you would have just had a positive experience that first year, you would have changed, that would have changed the way that you considered this as a career. So I just like, I don't know how to tackle those sort of cultural wide issues and I don't know if you do either. Yeah. I mean, obviously that's a big subject, well, subject but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a huge, that's, that's a huge question. But I do think, you know, some of the strategies that, that we have are for one, to, to try to support women and, and minorities in staying in those careers and being supported in those careers and having opportunities to advance and to someday maybe be in a leadership position where they can make change for others, right? So that that idea that we could invest in people and, and try to help carry them and keep them um, supported through their careers, that's a big part of, of what we want to do. Um, another thing that's critical is people having support networks. And so the WTREX is really premised on the idea that we're going to bring these folks together, including men. So it's the Women in Fire Training Exchange, but we include men purposefully to just create this robust network um, of people who all have, you know, like a a shared philosophy and a shared background in, um, in thinking about equity and thinking about diversity and and ecology and all, you know, all these important components that we know need to be part of fire management and linking them into the future. So every year we bring together about 50 people for these events. And um, what we're seeing is that those folks really, you know, they're coming from all over the world. They're coming from all over the country. Um, Last year we had people from 20 different states and eight different countries. And um, we're bringing them together and we're really creating a network of practitioners who can support each other. So You'll have a young woman who just started a fire career and she will have felt so alone because she's the one person on her 20 person crew um, or she's the one woman on her, you know, on her whole district. And now she has 50 other people who she can call and who might be a mentor for her or might offer her a job next summer or might say, hey, this is a great crew. You should come work here. Um, And we're really seeing that networking piece to be a critical 
in um, in maintaining, you know, the the excitement around the job and being able to stay in it. Oh, that's amazing. And kind of switching gears, but what else, what have you sort of learned in your uh, creation of and participation in the WTR or WTREX program? Have you picked up anything, like how has it sort of developed over the years as you've learned more uh, about the dynamic and about the program? Yeah, well, one of the, so one of the big things that, that we focus on is the idea of mentorship and, um, and that, you know, whether you're a woman or a person of color or, you know, any kind of underrepresented person, you're not going to be able to even aspire to leadership or, you know, to staying in a career if you're not seeing people like you in those positions. So we talk a lot about that. And one of the big things we try to do with WTREX is bring bring people from various stages of their careers um, onto our team and into our, our participate, you know, our roster. And so we have, um, we have a couple really inspiring women who are late career, uh, retired or, or just later in their careers who come to those events and are part of our core team. And they're there as a resource for these young women who are just starting. And then we have everything in between. So we have this real mix of people at various stages of their fire careers. And that's so helpful because if you can see Kelly Martin, who is the chief of fire at Yosemite or Jean Pinchatoli, who was one of um, only two uh, type one incident commanders, who was a woman, you know, when she was working, she's retired now, but she was only one of two women in that position. Um, if you can hang out with those women and kind of understand their career path and what, what it took for them to, to stick it out and what they've learned, that, that gives you so much more inspiration and passion to, to stick with it and, and see yourself there someday. Totally. That's great. I, um, I, I kind of posed a question to my, my Instagram followers a couple weeks ago, and that's what, that's what kind of spurred the idea for the podcast. And, and a lot of them talked about the diversity thing, like how we can do better in um, diversifying the fire world, but also about uh, one of the biggest questions I got was about how we can reintegrate uh, indigenous and cultural burning into, mm-hmm. uh, into our like prescribed burning structure. And so I'm wondering kind of how that influences, you talked about it a little bit earlier, but how that sort of influences what you're doing, the work you're doing with WTRAX and everything. Yeah, that's a great question. I think this will be something that you could spend some good time with Jeremy Bailey um, talking about because he he works very closely with some of our tribal partners um, on hosting Trex events and on cultural burning and stuff like that. For WTREX so far, it um, we haven't in- integrated that. Um, well, you know, I shouldn't say that. So the first year that we hosted the WTREX, we did it in Northern California, and um, we did spend some time burning with the the Mid Klamath folks who I talked about um, earlier, and so that that was really interesting, and and I think it would be great if we could explore that some more. We did the second WTREX was in Yosemite, and um, and I think we missed an opportunity to to do more with the tribes there, but that was right during the wine country fires. So it was like a horrible, horrible timing. We actually weren't able to get a lot of burning done during that event. And then last year we were in Florida and we were at Tall Timbers Research Station and, um, and you know, kind of focused there at the research station. So 
at this point, yeah, the tribal and cultural burning hasn't been a huge part of WTREX, but it has been a really important part of TREX more generally. And we, we have some, you know, incredible partners who host TREX events and are, are really opening up opportunities for people to come and learn and to experience cultural burning and, and to ask questions and have it be a really open and inclusive environment for that. So I think it, it is something that our team is really supportive of and working on, but not something so far that WTREX is focused on. We are thinking of other ways to connect folks and to give them professional development opportunities and to try to, you know, really find ways to invest in all these amazing pe young people who are entering fire careers and how can we keep them there? And so not only through WTREX, but also um, in, in other ways and just overall trying to increase the diversity and the inclusive culture of all the events that our team sponsors nation, you know, all the Trex events and all the cooperative burning events that we're part of, just how can we infuse that idea that everyone's welcome and that everyone has a, a voice, um, you know, not just a seat at the table, but like a real voice in how things, um, how things unfold in fire. So I think it's just a really exciting time that, that we're working on this and there are all these other parallel things that are happening and um, that we can have this opportunity to connect people. That's what I'm so excited about. And that's it for our second episode of Living with Fire. I appreciate you listening in, and I hope you enjoyed learning a bit more about the movement to diversify the wildland fire world. My only ask for you today is to share this podcast with one friend who you think might like it, whether that's somebody who works in fire, enjoys public lands, or lives in a fire-prone area. My hope is that they'll enjoy learning more about fire and the ways we all interact with it. Thanks again for listening and catch you in the next episode.